Real JP Multimedia, proud sponsor of the Nerdball Podcast. Here to help you with all things audio, video, graphics, photo, web design. From weddings to real estate, commercial business to private use, we offer a big variety of services for almost any budget. And if we can't do it, we will find someone who can. Find us at realjp.com. That's R-E-E-L-J-P.com. Real JP Multimedia. Hi, this is Bill Hilt, and this is the Nerdball Podcast. This is the Nerdball Podcast with Lorenzo Melcher. Awesome, Bill. Thanks for, for coming on my podcast. You're number podcast number two in my new studio space. So I want to say thank you to uh, Fort Meg's CrossFit for uh, helping me be in this uh, in this great office. Uh, if you want to contact them, their website is Fort Meg Cross Fort Meg's CrossFit Got a bunch of different classes, all uh, any skill level, and there's kids classes, uh, adult classes, anything you need, they got it here. So uh, uh, check them out at Fort Meg's CrossFit Bill, thanks for coming on. Um, I don't know you personally. I know you through a lot of my friends. And the one thing that always comes up, and you can tell me if this is accurate or not, uh, I moved to Perrysburg when I was a freshman, so I did not play football in junior high. But you used to be a junior high football coach, correct? Yes. Uh, And my friends, the memory they have is you guys, my friend said that you guys were good, but you ran a lot. Is that that accurate? We had uh, excellent conditioning. Yeah. And that's that's what they said. And then you and know it, what? There was a couple of games where that made the difference. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've been. Uh, I was a head football coach, freshman football coach for about four years, and that was the one thing that I wanted to do. Like, we're going to be conditioned. So if something happens, we're going to be uh, ready for this for whatever comes our way. So. Plus, there was nothing easier on the coaches than you know just making the kids run. Hundred <laughs> percent. We yeah. could sit around and BS around on the sidelines and watch them run. That's when you talk about the kids. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Bill. Um, Tell me, um, like, my first questions are always, um, like, where are you from, where you grew up at? But before I for- I have a tendency to forget, my main question all the time is, what is something you've been nerding out about lately? Something you're really into, if it's books, movies, TV show, something that you just get you out of work, because it just can't be about work, something that you're just really into. All right. Well, you know, I appreciate you having me on here today. Um, I've recently found podcasts and I really oh. find that I enjoy them. Uh, at the beginning of COVID, um, when everybody else was kind of uh, locking down and getting fat and lazy, I actually did the opposite. And I lost over the course of like a year and a half, about yeah. 80 pounds. And I was walking. I went from being able to walk for about maybe 12 to 15 minutes. Yeah. To you know, now I, I walk usually around an hour and a half a day. Wow! And so I discovered podcasts because I wanted something to do while I was walking, and I, I find them really fascinating. So I think it's re- this is the first time I've ever been on a podcast. So yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Um, where do you normally walk? Just around your neighborhood, or do you go well, different places? Uh, in when the weather's nice around my neighborhood, uh, I mostly I walk at school at uh, oh. Hall Prairie Intermediate School where I teach. Okay, we have some stairs, and I've I've gotten to where now I do like fifty or sixty flights of stairs a day. Yeah, so I just kind of walk up and down around the stairs after school, <laughs> sometimes during my lunch. All right, all right, yeah, that's uh, but you're right. There was a lot of people who just hunkered down and watched TV, and and but that was that's good to to for you just to get out and, and do something. Is that one of the main reasons? Is like I don't want to be sitting around. 
You know, I would have to say that it was just a matter of I hit a point in my life and I wasn't all that happy with myself physically. Mm-hmm. You know, I I always said I'm never going to be a diet guy. I'm yeah. a fat guy. I'm okay with it. I love to cook. I love to eat. Yeah, and I'm just going to be a fat guy. Yeah, and then uh, I don't know. Something just went. You know, you really should try. And so I just started slow and. I mean, I feel great. I feel yeah. 10 or 15 years younger. I got a lot more energy. Um, it's just, it's been a wonderful thing. I did I did the intermittent fasting, 5-2. Mm-hmm. So basically, I kind of eat what I want five days a week and two days a week, 600 calories or less. Oh, wow. And so, uh, but, you know, I've been doing it for oh, close to two years now. Okay. And, you know, I think it's just become my lifestyle. That's how I do things. Was did you start like when you did intermittent fasting? Was it like it's going to be six hundred calories, or was that like step stepping stones like we're dropping down? It was going to be six hundred calories. Yeah. And what I found was when I started, I would try to break those calories up throughout the day, but I found that for me, the best thing to do was not to eat at all mm-hmm. because once I start eating, yeah, I'm all in. You know, I like <laughs> yeah. to eat. I get and it, man. So, you know, I discovered things like I make a, a heck of a cabbage soup. I yeah. mean, it's I call it cabbage soup, but it's cabbage and it's got a lot of other vegetables, but it's all vegetables yeah. and I can eat a lot of it yeah. for 600 calories. So, you know, at <laughs> nine, 10 o'clock at night, I'll make this soup up and then, then I can go to bed with a full belly. Sure. Yeah. So that's what I like. What is, because uh, uh, like I said, my, my uh, brother-in-law uh, knows you and, and follows you on your social medias and stuff. I said before the, the podcast, and he, you put a lot of food on there. Is there so, is there something that uh, you really like to cook? You know, besides that cabbage soup, is something that just like I'm gonna cook this and because it's my favorite thing. I I love to cook new and different things, so I I try not to. You know, it's hard to say there's a specialty, but I do love when people ask me that question. I say. Probably my favorite thing to cook from start to finish to, you know, the end product is uh, ramen and pho. Okay. And in fact, I made a a batch of pho this past week and and served it up last night and it was just unreal (laughs) good. Oh, it was so good. I was like breaking my arm, patting myself on the back (laughs) for that one. Do you ever, um, do you ever, being a teacher, like um, for, I would imagine you always have to like pack a lunch or cook or or something because you can't really leave during a school day. Is that did that kind of play into like you wanting to cook more just so you can get variety as opposed to packing a bologna sandwich every day? You know, I for the longest time in my teaching career, I ate the school lunch. Okay, and and I was I was kind of a school lunch nerd. I love, you know pizza yeah. day was like yeah, pizza day. I love those <laughs> square little pizza. square school yeah. pizzas and the little fiestata things. You know, <laughs> um, but you know then. You know, the cafeteria quality food changed with whoever was, you know, in charge. Yeah. And, and then I got to the point where I was always taking in, like, leftovers and stuff. And uh, now I don't eat school. I don't eat lunch very often at school because a lot of times I'll skip the lunch. I, I've i been doing – so I plateaued with my with my diet. Okay. And so just to ch- kind of change things up a little bit, I've been doing more where I, I won't eat until I get home at night. Kind of – there's – Something called an eight sixteen, where you do yeah. all your eating within eight hours, mm-hmm. and I kind of been throwing that in. And the bonus side of that was that I'm more productive okay. because during my lunch, instead of sitting around and talking to the other teachers, I'm either walking and getting some of my exercise steps in, or um, you know doing some planning or grading or reaching out. Yeah. Uh, so 
Yeah, it's you know, but I do totally nerd out on food. Yeah, I I nerd out on. I mean, like this is the perfect podcast for me because I have all <laughs> these things that I have nerded. My you know, I'm a go big or go home kind of guy. Okay, you know, it's like I remember back in 2000, my I was nerding out on making wine. Yeah. Okay, so it started out. I made a few batches of wine, and then a couple of years later, I have like. 17 batches of wine going at various <laughs> forms of fermentation and bottling and aging. And, you know, was, in 2005, I had to stop because yeah. I had a, uh, I had a panic attack oh, and no. I, I never knew what that was. Yeah. And then, uh, but I thought I was dying, you know, it's like I'm having a heart attack or a stroke or something. I went to the hospital and they said, Oh, it's a panic attack. And so then I was like, all right, I got to see what I can kind of take off my plate sure what's what's working in the background causing me this anxiety and so in 2005 i stopped making wine i haven't made wine since then <laughs> you know i i've been that way too um and my wife well got, if you have a me. if you have a podcast about nerd now you know you, you've <laughs> got to have some of those skeletons in your closet yeah yeah so so and that happens and like i said my god bless my wife because she'll just hang on to whatever ride we're taking that time you know and this podcast actually has a longer shelf life than any of the other things. You know, there was a point where we were raising ducks in our backyard and uh, for for eggs, and you know, I've been working on the patio for. See, I'd turn those years. eggs into noodles. Duck egg yeah. noodles are pretty good. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I I uh, so I had to do a lot of research. So when I would go to my wife to say this is my plan, I had all these questions answered already. Um, but I never saw that anywhere. I saw uh, people really liked them for baking. Um, but I never knew that that uh, for the duck egg noodles. Yeah, yeah I got a friend that's doing. I, I mean, maybe it's just. The fact that even it's a fresh, fresher egg or something. Yeah. But I, I had a friend that gave me a couple dozen duck eggs, and I made some noodles with them, and they were, yeah, really good. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm, I am with you as far as like, hey, we're gonna do, I'm gonna do this for six months to two years, and then I'm just gonna do something else, you know. <laughs> you know, back in, uh, in two thousand, well, even before that, I've, I've always been to, into international things. You know, I do. Yeah. I really have a, a, a passion for international education and global connections and things like that. And back in 2011, I, I started an organization called the World Affairs Council of Northwest Ohio. Mm. And, you know, it was one of those things when I started it even, I was like, well, we'll see where this is in yeah. five years because, you know, <laughs> the, the fire might die out or whatever. But, um, you know, here we are. It's, it's been 11 plus years and uh, our organization is still going going fairly strong i think wow. we have a lot to offer the community so i was i i do nerd out about uh global international <laughs> stuff a lot too well let's let's back up here where um where did did you grow up around here yeah i grew up in perrysburg oh, okay. my right. my parents both graduated from perrysburg high school i graduated from perrysburg high school my grandfather graduated from perrysburg wow. high school so if you know kazmaier's grocery store yes. so my grandfather was al kazmaier oh uh, he's since passed but my uh my uncle alan runs the store and my cousin michael now they run the store yeah and so you know we have that family connection and so there's a lot of history here in perrysburg so you you went to perrysburg and i'm i'm assuming it changed and i don't want to i don't want to date you here but um i know when i was in high school i graduated in 2003 it was most of the kids were like i want to leave perrysburg i want to get out of perrysburg was that always a thing or even when, when you were in high school you're just like well this is the town i love and i'm going to stay here you know i would say that uh in general we, you know, there was like some kids kind of were ready to move on to something different and more exciting, and others were were happy to to move back if they could. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, I was kind of a homebody, and I really, 
really liked it. I went to to college at Bluffton College, okay. and it's like one hour from doorstep to doorstep. And so I came home about every weekend when I was in school and just you know hung out with my friends here and stuff. So yeah. um, I did have a summer in the summer when I was nineteen years old. I went out to New Mexico and I worked for a summer as a cowboy uh, at the uh, Boy Scout Ranch out there. There's a Boy Scout Ranch called Philmont, and I had always been. I mean, like I was like cowboys was something i read all these western novels as a kid yeah. I, I always wanted to be a cowboy and then like i got this opportunity and it was i was basically playing a cowboy you know yeah. it was an interpretive camp and i got to pretend like i was a cowboy but i did get to do some you know i went on a little cattle drive for a little bit uh realized that it's actually the dogs that do most of the work <laughs> on a cattle drive uh, but but that was just a, a great experience and i think you know, my parents were always really good about just kind of letting me kind of do what I was doing, and they really encouraged me and supported yeah. me. So, you know, I've just, I got into this habit young of doing, like, cool stuff. Yeah. And that's, I've just kind of continued throughout my life to just always look for the cool things to do. Did you participate in um, sports and stuff in high school? I was a football player. Okay, all right. Yep. Um, I did you did you play when you were real little, or was it just something you did when you were? Yeah, in high school? I played. You know, it was always uh, there was there was four of us in the neighborhood growing up. My brother and I, and Drew Crane and Jeff Crane. And Drew Crane and Jeff were both really good football players for Perrysburg. I was just kind of more or less your average. You know, I wasn't great, um, and I did go and I played at Bluffton for a year too, okay, and that right. was a great experience. Yeah. Um, you know, Ray Pullman was a real big influence on me back then and and he was like you know you could look at bluffton college and i was like really <laughs> you know he he kind of pointed me in that direction encouraged me called the coach and yeah the coach said oh yeah you know you can come down and play and when i got there i realized i was never going to be an nfl player so after the first year of playing i was like i think i'll just concentrate <laughs> on other things here in school Some what of these uh, fun school things sure yeah what uh what position did you play i was a center okay in right. in when I went to Bluffton, I was a guard. All right. All right. Well, I mean, that's good that you figured out, like, hey, this isn't my thing. But you also, you know, like you said, I'm going to concentrate on school because this is, you know, this is why, we're, why I'm here to begin with. Right. And it was a great, it was a great way to enter that new phase of my life because you, you went, like, 10 days early for three-a-day practices uh. or whatever. But you got to know a bunch of people before everybody else came in. So by the time all the other new freshmen were coming in, you know, you already had kind of a group of people, and it was a it was a really nice way to transition. That's that's how uh, I played football at Perrysburg because I wasn't going to. I moved here when I was a freshman, and my dad said, "Play football your freshman year, so you meet people before school. You're you're a new kid in a new city." And I did. I think I think there was only one kid in one of my seven classes that was on the football team, um, but uh, <laughs> I felt good. You know, it was the last period. It was science class, and I had some friends there from the football team. But it was the same way, like. Meet people, right. meet people, and um, Mr. Pullman did the same thing for me in high school. Like, I wasn't going to play after my freshman year, and he talked to me and said, "You know, I think you're going to be a good football player. You should reconsider this and that." And because of him, I continued, and I ended up playing all four years. So. I was ready to leave Bluffton after the first year, like after the first quarter. Um, you know, I told my parents, I said, "You know, I think I want to go to a bigger school, maybe yeah. get into BG or something like that." And my dad was like, "You know." why don't you just finish what you started here? Finish the year and then we'll talk. Yeah. And so I kind of had that in mind, but then had such a good time spring quarter. I met the girl who would become my wife. Um, and so I stayed at Bluffton for, for the four years and, and 
I tell people now that besides being born to the parents I was born to, uh, going to Bluffton College was the next biggest factor in who I became in my life wow. because you know it's a it's a really small liberal arts college and you know coming from Perrysburg I was coming from a place with almost no diversity mm-hmm. and at Bluffton also didn't have a lot of diversity because you know it was a lot of you know Midwest white kids like me yeah um, but there was more diversity there and even back in 1990 you know Bluffton was was trying to concentrate on the importance of diversity and different opinions and perspectives. And it just kind of sunk into me. And that was really kind of who I became throughout life. That's always been a real guiding principle for me. It's just, you know, when I came back to Perrysburg, I, I really always wanted to come back and teach in Perrysburg for some reason. I yeah. think it was just more or less the, the safety of it. Um, it was what I knew. And when I came back to Perrysburg, one of my big goals was like, I'm going to introduce this town to what it means to look at people that are different from mm-hmm. you. And, you know, just I'm, I was trying to kind of help them understand the experiences that I had. And, you know, it's really been a blessing. And now when I look around my classroom, I mean, you know, Perrysburg, you, you couldn't really say it's like a top diverse yeah. school, but it's gotten so much more diverse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I'm kind of happy. I'm living in my, uh, my new comfort zone. Yeah. I'm like, this is great. Uh, at school, I have an international club and, you know, we do some cool activities with the kids to kind of introduce them to other places in the world. Just the other day, we went to uh, an Uzbek restaurant that's mm. uh, kind of out by the turnpike. Uh, and that was you know, it was really nice. And we had the kids and their families there and stuff. And it was, it was just kind of a cool thing. And, you know, that's what you get when you hang out with Mr. Hill. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm glad you said that about diversity because that's something that I'm, I always try to do with the football team. I've been coaching football here for 10 years. Uh, the varsity, I just finished up my fourth year in varsity. Um, but I want kids that are going you know, to, you don't have to play a sport or not, but I, want, I especially focus on the football team just because I'm out there with them all the time. I want you to realize like the world you're going to because here in Perrysburg, like you said, it's getting more diverse, but you're still in a bubble and you're still with your friends. And, you know, a lot of them are white friends. I I want you to realize like there's other things out there and I want you to at least be aware and at least know how to react to different situations that aren't here. Right. I was fortunate when when I was at Bluffton, my sophomore year, about the middle of the year, I had kind of... I guess you would say manipulated the system, but I managed to to land myself a corner room, which were bigger rooms, mm-hmm. and I managed to land it on my own because I knew the guy that was in the room draw with me, that he wasn't coming back, and he was a senior, so he got an early draw. Uh. So I had a corner room to myself. I was living large. <laughs> and then uh, one night I got a call from the lady who was in charge of housing and she was, I was on student Senate at Bluffton too. And she was our student Senate advisor. And she says, Hey Bill, I got some great news for you. I I've got a, a roommate for you. And I was like, great news great, for who? Great. Awesome. Whoa. Yeah. And then she said, you know, yeah, he's from Kenya. And I was like, ah, oh. and so my wife remembers this best, but apparently I called her up and I just started ranting and raving about how I was going to have some Bushman living with me yeah. and, blah 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 and you know 
he he moved in. I that night I went out to the bar and <laughs> he moved in and I came home and it was like, you know, midnight, one o'clock. Yeah. I had these lofts in my room. Lincoln Hall, where we lived, was built in like 1880 something. And the walls were like 12 foot high. And my dad and I built these lofts that were like 10 foot high. <laughs> and so we only had like a foot between the ceiling and your face yeah. if you were up there laying in bed. And and the the ladder to get up there was just an old rickety ladder that I think he pulled out of a dumpster at a construction site. And But but my, my roommate Jack had managed to get up into there and, and was kind of sleeping up there. And I, I saw him, you know, and like... He didn't have a pillow or anything, and I was like, "Oh man!" So like, I had two pillows. Mm-hmm. I I threw him a pillow, <laughs> and that, you know that was the kind of the beginning. And and he ended up being in my wedding. Oh know, really? I was just going to ask later. you, like, and, if you still talk to him? Yeah, and in fact, uh, I visited him this summer. He lives in Minneapolis. Now, okay, and I visited him this summer, and then he came. Uh, my parents now live out at Putin Bay, and he and his wife came and visited with my parents and, and we went out to the island for a couple of days. And so there were long periods of time where I didn't like really talk to him yeah. very much. Uh, we, ha- we had had a business uh, investment together when I had just graduated. He was still in school. We were growing Kenya or growing sugar cane in Kenya. Um, it didn't work out, right. but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, a, it was a dream and, you know, it was supposed to be big money. Sure. Sure. But you know that I, I also kind of, I see that as one of the stepping stones along my path of enlightenment, if you could call it that. Sure, but, yeah. you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, I, I went from, you know, kind of being like, well, you know, people that are different are okay to, yeah. And in fact, people that are different can go on to be one of your best friends, yeah. you know? So I learned so much from him, though, just about, I guess you'd call it the privilege of, of being an American and having the things, because, like... You know, we would be, we'd go up to my house the first time and we're going down I-75 and he just keeps looking and looking and I'm like, what, what, what are you looking at? He says, the bridges. He said, you know, in my country we have like a bridge. Oh, wow. And here you have like a bridge every couple miles just to, to make it so traffic can go easier. And he, you know, he had a hard time. Uh, understanding that, and then you know we get to the house, and you're like, you put up the garage door with the garage door opener, and he's like, "Whoa, wow!" I remember the first time he ever came to my house. He he had disappeared for like a half hour, and then he comes out and he says, "I I can't figure out how to get the shower to work," you know, because you had to like pull up oh, yeah. on something, and and you know, just funny stories like that. We we have a lot of those, but I had decided, you know, if I was going to have an international roommate. I was going to make him the coolest international guy on the campus. So that was kind of my mission. Did you succeed? I, yeah, I did pretty well, yeah, I think. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, he succeeded. I just kind of – but I, I gave him a few tricks, you know, yeah. like uh, some of the international people, you know, you'd walk by, hey, what's up? And they'd go, oh, very good, thank you, you know. And yeah. I was like, dude, no, you can't do that. If someone says, what's up? You go, not a lot, <laughs> not much. So it's just some of those little things. Yeah, yeah. Man, that that's cool. And you always – uh, when somebody even even they don't have to be from a different country, just a different place in America, and they come to uh, somewhere and they're like, "Oh, look at this thing!" You know, you take for granted these things sometimes, right? It, absolutely. And you're like, "Yeah, absolutely. we yeah we do have bridges everywhere, and they are very helpful." Yeah. Yes, you're right. You know, and I mean, just that mindset has made such a difference in my life because um, you know, even perceiving 
how something might appear to a woman as opposed to a man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's allowed me this ability to kind of meet people where they are. And I think that that has helped people, you know, people are very comfortable with me and people really, I, you know, I've found especially here later in life that people are really like comfortable talking to me and, and see me as someone that they can reach out to and kind of get advice from. And I've, I've leaned into that role a little bit. And, you know, I think especially now, um, you know, we're really facing a mental health crisis mm-hmm. in this country and in this world. And so, you know, I think we we need to have some close relationships, some people that we can talk to, that, yeah. you know, we can run some things by. That, and that's, you know, people, um, businesses are always concerned with, why do we got to have a diverse board or a diverse workplace? Or, you know, like, well, being diverse just makes the chance for different ideas from different people that if you have 10 of the same people, no one's going to ever have any ideas or expand or no one's going to know like how to react to something when it's always the same. If you have all these diverse people or, or surround yourself with diverse friends and, and um, it just makes everything better to help Like you said, just to, just to give another perspective on something right. you might be going a, through. A, a fresh perspective just really, you know, it makes just an absolute big difference. I know when I was, um, when I was, at Bluffton, and it was my it was my junior year, mm-hmm. and I was on student senate, as I had said, and we had a um, an issue that came to us where the board of trustees of the university they wanted to start a diversity scholarship, and you know most of my what you would call I guess constituents the guys that I knew were really against it, you know, like Mm -hmm. why, why would we, you know, why should somebody get an extra scholarship, extra help, extra money just because they're different. And so, you know, I was kind of going into it where I, okay, I have to kind of represent the viewpoint of my constituents. These guys, you know, they're counting on me to, to represent them. But as it went on and I realized that this was such a great thing and that I had my experience as having been influenced by having a, a diverse roommate. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really had to kind of vote the way that I knew because I was like, I have more information than they do. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how important this is, but I do. And was that hard for you to do it that? Was. It was yeah. real hard. And, you know, I was like, you know, a 20 year old kid or yeah. something like that, you know, and you know, it, it really also gave me a little bit of a, a good uh, perspective of what it's like for, you know, our lawmakers. And, you know, they have to represent their constituencies, but, you know, sometimes they have to vote their conscience or their knowledge too. So, um, you know, I felt like that was a, a really good foundational building block to, to who I became. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, obviously something I can carry forward, carry you forward, not just hey, I'm going to run for office as I get older. But just like you said, just in life, like, you know, sometimes uh, I have to make decisions that that other people seem, seem they will see that it might not be the correct thing. Like now I'm, my, I'm a supervisor at my job, work for the Metro Parks. Sometimes I'm going to make a decision where my guys aren't going to be happy with it, but overall it's best for everyone because, I, like you said, I have more information yeah, it serves about it. The, it. It serves the greater good. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes especially – you know, I think especially young people haven't quite figured that out yet. Yeah. So, well, that that's it's well, even even me, right? So, I was at uh, 
our, an email got sent out saying, hey, this is how we run our meetings. Do you guys think we should change it up? We could do this. We could do that. Uh, this is our chief of operations telling us. And as singular supervisors, we're emailing back saying, no, that's good. I think this. I think everything works. This, And then we created a group together of a meeting of supervisors. And we all said the opposite in this meeting. And I learned like, okay, well, we all voted or gave our input based on what we thought our chief of operations wanted. But when we all were together, then we also decided like, oh, wait, no, we just said that to say it, but we actually feel this way. Right. right? Group think. Yeah. Group think is a, I mean, so <laughs> I, speaking of nerding out, like for the last at least decade, my nerd out has been like, I'm really curious about how the brain works, mm-hmm. how, how we have our biases. There's a book that I've, I, I read it kind of on a continuous rolling basis. Uh, when I finish it, I just start over because it's got little snippets. It's called You're Not So Smart. And it talks about all the heuristics and brain biases that you have. And, um, you know, groupthink was, was one that got to me. And it, it was like the, the first rule of groupthink is every group needs an a-hole. You know, it's like <laughs> you, there, there has to be somebody there to challenge. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm the president of the World Affairs Council of Northwest Ohio, and I have a board. In January, I become the president of the Ohio Council for the Social Studies. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, it's a two-year term, but it's like a six-year commitment. I've been the vice president for two years, and I'll be the immediate past president for two years after I, I serve. And, you know, and that's been one of the things that I'm like, the, you know, the cornerstone of, of my administration is going to be, you know, that I want to not have group think. I want yeah. you to tell me what you think. I want you to challenge everything I say. Uh, you know, look for ways to find weakness in it because, you know, I've noticed that so many times we go through these group things, especially if there's a power differential. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it's good for anybody. So, no, I, I, I tell my crew that all the time like, guys, I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to mess up. Um, and when you guys come to me because I have this idea or we should do it this way or that way, there's going to be times where I tell you no, but that doesn't mean I don't want you to keep doing that because I think it's important that you guys play a, a role in how we man- – this is your park too. Like how we manage this park isn't just me. I'm the end all end – all, I'm the final say, but I also want you guys a part of this because, again, you're, this is your park. So if, if you feel like I'm just telling you things all the time, you're not going to be one invested in it as much. So I, right. I want you to, like, like you said, challenge me. Again, I may say no, but don't stop doing that. Right. And I think that's important that you do that because then, you know, you, 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 you're forced to sort of put your ego aside mm-hmm. a little bit and, and you're forced to consider other perspectives. And I mean, in the end, it's just going to make you stronger and better in the end when you're able to do that. I mean, I think humility is one of the things that I've probably learned more about in the last few years um, than I than I had my whole life. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if I could instill anything, I mean, like my overall message to my students and and people that I know is that a number one, you have to be a lifelong learner. Yeah. Um, if you have that mentality, it will serve you well. Um, you know, but the other thing is humility. You know, you have to, part of being a lifelong learner is you're not learning all this so that you can tell other people what should be done. You're, you know, you're doing this so that, you know, as a whole, you can kind of figure out the best ways to do things. And if, if you have that attitude of humility, it's just going to make, a, it's going to happen so much faster and better. 
my one of my favorite things to say, believe it or not, is um, when someone asks me a question, to be it a, a football player or someone at work, is ask me a question. I say I don't know because I, I tell them it's like I don't know, but I'll find the answer for you. Exactly. Um, and like you said, it's it's me learning, and then I'm teaching somebody else. But they also see like, oh, he doesn't know everything all the time, you know. Which, you know, that's that's to me, it should be obvious. But sometimes people in different different levels of power or whatever, they just think like, oh, he knows everything. He's just going to tell me how it is, you know. So I like being able to say that to people because it, it just gives them. I think it gives them more uh, comfort with me. Yeah, and if you know, if if you have this attitude like there's an answer i think you're already you you're already facing a setback because you know a lot of times there's not really an answer it's Mm -hmm. you know this is so-and-so's answer this is so-and-so's answer so you know it's a lot it's a heavy lift it takes a little work and a lot of people aren't interested in that no um so you you were at bluffton um and did you always know like hey i'm going to do social studies or history or or was that something you always knew that you wanted to teach or was there different? no i was always I never knew what I was really going to do. I, you know, I my one of my best friends growing up, his mom was a teacher at the high school. She was an English teacher, and you know, when I was in high school, um, my sophomore year, my brother was killed in a car accident. He was eighteen, and I was fifteen. And of course, you know, those are going to be very formative yeah. events in your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I I relied on a lot of people helping me get through that, and. And my buddy's mom was one of those people, and I had her in class. She was my teacher, and then she was my teacher a couple other times. And, you know, I was also a Boy Scout, and in Boy Scouts, as I got older, I started working with the younger kids, uh, you know, teaching them skills and things Mm -hmm. like that. And, I I mean, I never even really thought about it, but as I approached high school graduation trying to figure out what to do, kind of occurred to me I, actually i did want to be a forest ranger that was my oh, okay. that was my like the first thing ranger bill yeah um <laughs> when i was a kid i wanted to be a construction worker yeah and my, my mom said you know you, you're gonna be like your dad you have to go out on days like this and and be outside working and you know it was like 10 below zero and yeah. i was like yeah maybe you're right you might be on to something mom. <laughs> uh, but when i started when i went to bluffton the idea was i was gonna be a science teacher i always loved history i was a big history buff um, but you know, at that time and probably still now history, social studies jobs were harder to get because mm-hmm. there were a lot of people that wanted them and there just weren't all that many jobs. So in order to be more marketable as a teacher, I decided science. Yeah. And then I remember I took this anatomy class and it was like in high school anatomy, I did fine. First of all, understand I was not a stellar student throughout my career until after my brother's death. I kind of got it in my head that now I have to be successful because I'm a parent's last chance, you know? So, like, I went, at the end of my sophomore year, I had, like, a 1.97 GPA. And and then when I started driving, my dad was like, you know, if you get straight A's, I'll pay for your car insurance. (laughs) So every time the car insurance was due that quarter, I had straight A's. But then once you see the oh actually i am capable mm-hmm. of that yeah. you know then it's it's easier so i might drift back and have a couple b's on the off quarter then the next quarter it was all a's again i i never i never got that part like my dad my i was grounded so many times for my grades I, I think i ended up graduating with a two three um and that's what i ended up with yeah. two three four something yeah like i just that. never like I didn't apply myself because I could have got all A's and B's, but it took work and I didn't want to work. I didn't exactly. want to do it, you know? And, and so I just, I never got even, cause my dad even said like, 
well, if you get bad grades, I'm going to take your car away because I paid. I okay. Well, I guess I got taken away then. You know, because I just couldn't do it. You know, it's interesting because, like, I I sometimes counsel parents that are trying to get their kids to to get their grades up, and mm-hmm. you know, like they always say, "Oh, I, I ground them. I take everything away." And you know, I kind of give them the old Doctor Phil, like, "How's that working for you?" <laughs> you know. And so I usually try and tell them, you know, it's not the severity of the punishment it's the certainty of it mm. and and if it doesn't if something's not working pretty much right away it's probably not going to work yeah. you know so um do you find uh in your in your being in being a teacher talking to parents do you find anything that works better than others or is it all just depend on the family you know probably if i had that information i wouldn't be sitting here with <laughs> you doing this i, I would be on some like uh, harvard podcast sure, sure. And, um <laughs> you know uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times it's just, you got to meet them where they're at. You know, a lot of times there, there's probably a reason for it, you know, and you know, it might be a, a learning disability mm-hmm. or it might be attention disorder kind of thing, or, or it could be motivation. I mean, I find that most kids, at least the kids that I teach, are capable of at least doing passing work if the motivation is right. Yeah. But it, it's, you know, it's kind of a basic tenet of psychology. It's like the positive has a tendency to work better than uh, punishment. Yeah. You know, punishment just isn't something that really works long term, you know. Um, I And it's just, you know, I think you need to, to find their passion and, and kind of light a fire in them. But yeah. it's it's always going to be a struggle. We're never going to find the answers. But, you know, I think as educators, we're getting a lot better. And I think a big part of that is we've recently, uh, you know, within the last five or ten years, social-emotional learning has become a big thing in mm-hmm. education. And, and I'm really in favor of it because I think that especially these days, you know, kids can find all the information that they need on their phone mm-hmm. or their computer. Um, so do we really need to spend a bunch of time trying to teach them things so that they remember it? Eh, first of all, we got to make them feel like school's a good place to be, mm-hmm. that, you know, you're comfortable there. Uh, and then, then we can work with them on finding what they want to learn and how they can learn it. But, you know, they need that social and emotional support because anybody that's been through school knows you're, most of your mental state is wrapped into what are other people going to think on yeah. one level? What's this girl going to think of me? You know, what's, what's my teacher? Does my, why does my teacher hate me? You know? Yeah. And it's easy to, to say things like, Oh, my teacher hates me and stuff like that. Um, but if you kind of teach them to understand that they can kind of understand where others are coming from and how they fit in and, you know, it just makes them feel more comfortable yeah. and then you can do a better job of teaching when they feel comfortable. I'm waiting for my children to their ones in uh, fifth grade and ones in second grade, and I'm waiting for the day where they're like, "I don't like school," because right now it's all good. But maybe, maybe that it is. They just continue to to enjoy school, or at least enjoy enough of school to get them to to do well in it. And I tell you, Perrysburg is. A, I mean, I I see a lot of education around the state and yeah. around the country and the way they do things, and and Perrysburg. I mean deserves the status that that we hold because we do a a fantastic job and i mean that comes all the way from the top to the bottom i mean things are really 
pretty good in our school district. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why people want to move here. That's why property values are higher here. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're doing some things right, but, but everything's changing so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what uh, parents can always wrap their heads around is like, these things are changing. It's, you know, parents for schools are doing their due diligence and, and we're not just changing things that change things. Like we're, we're trying to be more, we're changing things for the positive, but sometimes change, is seen as like uh, the, everything is willy nilly, especially if it happens fast and parents get nervous and scared. Like, well, you're teaching my kids and this. And it's or different that, from you know? they're used to. You know, yes, like, we didn't yeah. do that when I was in school, and it was yeah. like, well, yeah, but when you were in school, it was a totally different yes. world. I mean, yeah. the the world is changing so fast; everything's accelerated, mm-hmm. and you know, we 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 have to figure out a better way to address the educational system as a whole. But mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people working on that. So. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I did get you off track a little bit. We were talking, I wanted to go back to you picking, or you know, you said you were going to be a science teacher. Um, so what, what changed there? Well, I took an anatomy class, and in anatomy in high school, I, I got an A. But, you know, like if there was a bone there, you had to identify like eight or ten things on it, mm-hmm. you know. Well, when you got to college, it was like there was like 120 <laughs> things to memorize. So I think I got like a C plus okay. in anatomy, and I was like, oh, well. And at the same time, I had uh, an English professor who really liked my writing, and she was really encouraging me to write. So it was an easy move to say, all right, I'm going to be an English teacher. (laughs) Then about maybe the next couple semesters, then I had a a professor who didn't appreciate my writing style so much. (laughs) And I knew I was going to have him for probably five more classes throughout my career, and I was like, well... Then I started thinking uh, elementary education. That's where it's at because I'm a guy and they need guys in elementary. So And that that's kind of what stuck. Yeah. I mean, it helped that, you know, once I switched to elementary, it was me and 29 girls. <laughs> <laughs> my the, wife called it my harem. I was, I was just going to say, where where did your uh, – was this before or after you met her? This was uh, – after okay, okay after yeah she was a senior when i was a freshman oh and yeah. i saw her uh we we would eat at this place called marbeck center and there was a cereal bar and she was like she was up getting cereal at the cereal bar and i'm i'm having lunch with my friend toad and i was like <laughs> that's such a college day <laughs> yeah, isn't it i'm like toad that that girl owns my heart and he looks over and he says i know her and then we like we got to talking and well she was a senior and I was a freshman I was like it's April we got a month of school left this is never going to work out so I was kind of like I backed off I was like I'm not going to not going to pursue this yeah. and then one night a week or two later toad says hey we're going up the road uh to this other place and you know she's coming Terry's coming with with us and I was like well, all right and then uh you know that magical night she kissed me <laughs> She she remembers it slightly different, and she says I kissed her. Yeah. Either way, I mean, it was after that. It was a it was a, a whirlwind relationship, and we we stayed together, and then we got married just uh, a little bit after I graduated. So where because she was graduating, like what what uh, and you thought like well, there's only a month here. What what's going to happen? Like did she stay around there then? Because you still had you know three more years of school. Well, that summer she went off and she worked at a camp. Um, 
and then the next year she was she was a social work major and she was trying to get a job in social work but you know she faced the same dilemma that a lot of young graduates face everybody wants you to have some experience mm-hmm. nobody really wants to give you the experience <laughs> that's amazing because that's still 100% a thing still right now still <laughs> a thing absolutely although now i feel like they're getting a little more desperate <laughs> but i uh, i know that there's um the the a lot of the jobs with the metro parks it's uh this level of schooling this level of schooling but a lot of people put in or right you said or x amount of experience the x amount of experience i i find uh different jobs when i'm just looking at jobs it's getting less and less like you said yeah Yeah. so she ended up she worked at mcdonald's for a while she had worked at mcdonald's when she was in in like high school and and college and so she was you know she was a worker and and then finally she got her break and she got hired by marion county children's services and Mm. i think she was making like fifteen thousand dollars a year you know with a college degree (laughs) Uh, but she lived in upper sandusky with some friends that she had graduated with and so it was close enough that a couple of times a week i could drive over and see her Mm. and so you know it was uh yeah it was great she uh, you know i can't imagine what would have happened in my life had I not ended up with her. I always think about that too because I, I went to BG right after um, high school, as most Perrysburg kids do, and uh, I lasted a semester. Uh, I didn't go to class, and they said don't come back. And um, but my, I had friends. On, I had a friend who I went to elementary school with who was on the football team at BGSU, and he was like, "You should try to be a walk on this and that." I had a couple other people asking me to do it, and I was like, "No, nah, I don't. I don't want to. I'm just. I like football. I don't love it, you know." And Someone asked, like, do you regret not playing football? I said, I said, first of all, I don't regret a lot of stuff because, right, because things happen for a reason. But especially that, because there's no way I would have met my wife. I have two kids now. I, I, you know, there's no way I'd be where I'm at if it wasn't for for that. So I was like, no, there's no way I, I'd regret that. So that that's you some know, of those things. I mean, it, it it made a huge huge difference because yeah. you know I'm a complex individual, and you know. She just, she's very much, we're very opposite, and we knew that from the start, yeah. but we had the same core values, and um, so our personalities have always kind of complemented each other, and, mm. you know, I mean, like any relationship, you know, we have our moments, but, you know, we've we've always managed. I, I've only recently really come to understand how much she saved my life. I mean, uh, it's not easy to be married to me (laughs) and you know she she never really tries to tell me what to do and if she does i take heed of that because i know it's like she never asked for anything she's asking for this so so when you say like saved your life what is there something that i feel like there's something that could like stand out where you can pinpoint like well you know recently back in september i was diagnosed as bipolar 2 okay and so I had been, I'd, I've always struggled with mental health, uh, and for a long time I didn't know it. It was just, you know, in, in my generation, I mean, even now it's still kind of like this, but in my generation, nobody ever really talked about it. You didn't mm-hmm. go to counseling or anything like that. Especially being a guy. Right, yeah. right. Um, but back when when I was saying, like, I, I was making wine, I stopped making wine because I had that panic attack, mm-hmm. and then... You know, so that was a, a clear indicator that I had some some baggage. And then in 2014 through 2016, I went through a period of depression that, I mean, should have, could have killed me. I mean, I was 
severely depressed. I wasn't able to get out of it. Um, you know, I was, I was, ta- I, I had started on like antidepressant medicines mm-hmm. even before that, but you know, it didn't work that well. And, um, and when this started, you know, it was deep and it was bad. And fortunately, you know, I was willing to, um, you know, I went to the, the psychiatrist, I took the medicine, I did everything they said to do, mm-hmm. uh, but nothing seemed to work. And then I, I eventually pulled out of it. I always say it's because uh, my friend Jolt, who is this Hungarian guy, uh, he called me one time in August and we were, we had put in for this grant and essentially we had gotten this grant through the European Union and there were groups from six other countries waiting for me to finish my paperwork. <laughs> and he was like, you know, and I was at that, I mean, like we've probably all heard of that time where you, you just hardly can get out of bed. I mean, yeah. just, I mean, it's dark. And he was like, Bill, we're going to walk you through this paperwork. And he did for about an hour, hour and a half. He just walked me through everything I needed to type in. We did it. Um, and then like a week later, he's like, okay, we got it. We're, we're going to go to Latvia for our initial meeting in end of October. And that just having that to look forward to, cause mm. I hadn't done any international travel for a year and a half or two years because I, you know, I was barely getting out of bed. Yeah. Um, but having that to look forward to, and I think just time was part of it, and I'm sure the medications were, were starting to kick in. But anyway, after school started that year, it's always tough at the beginning of the school year because there's just a lot of uncertainty and stress. And mm-hmm. But I made it through the first couple of weeks, and I kind of like stopped and thought one time. I was like, dang, the light's on. You know, It felt brighter. I, I had something to look forward to. And so uh, that was the beginning of a of, of, of very bright period. Mm-hmm. Well, I had continued to be uh, under the care of a psychiatrist, but you know, a couple times, like, I'd, they'd push me off to, like, a PA, or, and then I had another PA. And back in March of this year, I took a trip to Poland. I have a lot of friends in Ukraine. And when the war broke out in Ukraine, it was the same time my daughter got married and the war broke out like two days before she got married. And it was just a really emotional thing. And so I did some things to, to raise some funds and do some things mm-hmm. to, to help. And I ended up going to Poland for, um, well, I went to Poland and, and Prague and Czech Republic for a week. I split it. And when I was in Poland, I was basically by myself. I was working with a partner who helped me. Um, you know, make the arrangements that I needed to make there. But I was, it was hard. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was having panic attacks. And, you know, I didn't have any medication with me or anything. On the train to Prague, it occurred to me. It was just like, I was going to see my buddy Jolt. He was coming from Hungary. We were meeting there and we were going to hang out. So I was, you know, I was feeling pretty good, had something to look forward to. And it occurred to me, oh man, you had these panic attacks. That was panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And then so I, I got back home, and when I went to see my psychiatrist next, you know, he was like, and I'm moving out of state, so you're going to get a new one. Mm. And I had only seen this guy a couple times, you know, so he hadn't figured out all the complexities of Bill Hilt, you know. Sure. So so I get this new psychiatrist, and after the first meeting, he, um, he changed my medication. 
And, you know, he was kind of talking to me. I don't know, maybe I wasn't hearing it or whatever. But a few days after I was looking at the medication, I looked at the notes and he said it, it had a new diagnosis of this bipolar 2. And bipolar 2 is marked by not as manic. Like when you have bipolar, your manic episodes a lot of times will end you in the hospital, in jail, oh, yeah. dead broke, gambled away all your money. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like those legendary people that just, you know, go really off the rails. With bipolar 2, you don't have that. But what you have is typically longer and deeper depressions. So that kind of matched the experience that I had of, you know, two years of darkness. Yeah. Um, and then I read the description on WebMD of what bipolar 2 is. And I was kind of like, how did everybody miss this my oh, whole life? Yeah. Because it was, it was like Seems this really was obvious. describing me. Yeah. yeah. And. You know, we have a tendency as humans when, when somebody puts a label like that, then, yeah, you start seeing everything. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, honestly, this was like, <laughs> it was it was the thing. Well, and for that new psychiatrist to see you, well, that was the only one time he saw you and then that? That was the one record. time he saw me. Yeah. And, and he had put it together. And, and my wife is a, she's a licensed uh, family and marriage counselor. And <clears throat> she, you know, she, I guess she, she didn't really see it either. Nobody, yeah. you know, everybody had kind of missed it. But then once... Once he saw that. So, but then that really gets me, that throws me for a loop because I was kind of a, a proud advocate for anxiety and depression. Uh-huh. You know, I would talk about it to people all the time, like, you know, uh, trying to get people to talk about it. Yeah. Like make it, it's, it's pre- prevalent in society. We have to talk about this. But then when I was bipolar too, I was like, oh, that's... That's more serious. That's a bad one. Yeah. It's not a country club. Like 25% of us are on antidepressants. You know, this is different. Did you feel like I can't talk about this? I felt like that. Yeah. I mean, it took me, it might have taken me six weeks before I told my parents. Wow. Um, just because I was I was struggling with it. And I, and I was struggling with this idea that um, am I going to be able to be an advocate? But over now the last few months, I've gotten much more comfortable with it, you know, uh, I'm happy to talk about it with anybody. I, I've pretty much told most of my close friends, um, and I feel like I can continue to be a good advocate. And maybe this would even possibly make me an even better advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I've had a lot of support. I told my both boards, um, the boards that I'm on. Yeah, I you know I kind of let them know this was the thing. So, and I think mostly I want people to be aware so they can kind of watch out for me. Cause like, if you see me starting to slip and slide a little bit, you know, you can let me know. Yeah. But you know, it's still, still a relatively new thing, but. Do you, do you find by sharing that, that people, people have, well, cause you've been an advocate. Do you find by sharing any of that stuff that people have come out and be like, Oh yeah, I know someone. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not necessarily bipolar too, but have something that they can try to relate to. You nailed it. I mean, I get like every time that I bring up mental health issues with anybody now that people want to talk about, it. Mm-hmm. you know, it's all of a sudden you've created like this safe area where people can talk about it. And almost every time when I'm leaving, they're like, you know, thank you mm-hmm. for talking about this and sharing that because it enabled us to do that. So, uh, so now I'm kind of leaning into it, but you know, it's a, you don't want to be the guy that shares a little too much information a little too quick, <laughs> yeah. you know. I, I didn't know if I was going to even mention it on this podcast, but, you know, as we're talking, you're making me feel very comfortable. And 
you know, at the end of the day, I think it's something that people need to start talking about. So if, well, if one person it, yeah. hears this yeah, and, yes. and reaches yeah. out, it that that makes the difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. It you know, being an advocate for for something like that, it's a like my concern is that people will they will perceive it as like I'm trying to use my disorder to get attention you know like yeah. it's all about me so i'm still thinking a lot about how can i be an advocate without being appearing that this is all about me and i want you to listen to my story and you know it's really not it's really i want to give you a door to to knock on and to come through if if you've needed that for a while so yeah. and the only way you can do that is by talking about it well that and that's how i feel too but I, I feel the same way so uh as soon as you start talking about that it it it, just like you said, it, people start opening up to you. So um, I said it be, before here. My uh, my mom was an alcoholic. She's been sober for a long time now. Um, and my brother passed away from a drug overdose. But I but it's the same way. Like I want to tell people because I want them to feel comfortable. If because f- f- dealing with drugs and alcohol in my family my entire life, like I realize that it's in it's everywhere. Like people it's know everywhere. right. If it's not in your family, it's some friends. It's some you know somebody that's dealing with it. So I like to let people know about this stuff, but I don't want them to know so they feel sorry for me. I just want them to know, like, hey, I can help you with things, or if you need someone to talk to about it, that's why I'm telling you. Like, you don't have to feel. I'm already, I'm already sad about it. Like, I, I grieved. Um, maybe sometimes I get mad at myself for not grieving enough. I, I, I told my wife, I go, I think I cried more over my dog when we had to put our dog down than my brother, just because we didn't have a good relationship. But I would just want people to know that because, like, everyone's, everyone has something, so we can talk about it and, right. and make it try to help people. Yeah. Yep, I think that's uh, you, you got it. You nailed yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, well, I don't. I told you an hour. Um, we're about we're there right now. Uh, oh I pre- wow! Yeah, it goes fast. Uh, I appreciate you coming out here. I would love to have you come back on because we didn't even talk about you. You know, becoming a teacher, working at Perrysburg, you know, helping these kids, coaching football. Like you know, even your all your international good, I got trips. some good football stories. Yeah, I got some great international <laughs> stories. Yeah. So, so. I, if you want to, I would love to have you come back absolutely, on sometime. Absolutely. Uh, we can arrange that. So, so thank you. Before we go, I do want to say thanks again to Fort Meg's CrossFit for helping me um, uh, come, come or allowing me to come to their business. Uh, again, if you want anything, workout uh, stuff that they got is all at their website, fortmegscrossfit.com. I might have to check it out because, yeah. you know, I'm getting tired of walking up and down stairs all the time. Maybe I need to put a little something else in my uh, repertoire of exercise. Yeah, it's always good to change it up, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. So uh, thanks again, Bill, for coming on the podcast. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for checking out this episode of the Nerdball Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're hearing this on any of the podcatchers on youtube hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode we're kind of coming at you two times a week now audio and video check us out on all the social medias just search the nerdball podcast on facebook twitter instagram tiktok we're out there uh gmail is the nerdball podcast at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email we'll be happy to get back to you thanks to real jp multimedia cuttlefish graphics Perrysburg Junior High STEM Lab, and Big Daddy Graphics for helping out the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.